1: That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. Terry Hart, freelance entertainment reporter. Hi, Jesse. Today on the show, keeping La Flame alive. And what do you get when your years of workplace abuse are exposed? Multi-million dollar settlement, it seems. We're going to talk about John Derringer. Welcome, Terry, to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. So
0: happy to be here. First time inaugural visit.
1: Happy to have you. This episode is brought to everybody by Stephen Smith, Jason Cabero, Ashley Dargets, Eric Toquet, Colby Stafford, Brian Hyde, Jessica Fair, and Ian.
0: Hi, my name's Ian. I'm a social worker in healthcare living in Winnipeg. I support Canada Land in large part because of Jesse Brown. I, for one, am not afraid to admit that I'm interested in what Jesse has to say. And I know it's become a thing on these intros to make a dig at Jesse. And he himself styles himself as an asshole sometimes. And while I don't want my
1: friends and family to be
0: assholes or my colleagues to be assholes or other people in my life to be assholes, I will make the occasional exception for a small handful of journalists because assholishness does seem to be an asset in some situations. (laughs) A major change in Canadian media. Bell Media has ended its contract with CTV National News anchor Lisa Laflamme. The longtime anchor has been a daily presence in many Canadians lives. Bell Media has cancelled her contract. The veteran journalist announced the news in a video today on her Twitter account. I was blindsided and I'm still shocked and saddened by Bell Media's decision. While it is crushing to be leaving CTV National News in a manner that is not my choice, Please know reporting to you has truly been the greatest honor of my life. And I thank you for always being there.
1: Terry, it's just also just jarring just to see Lisa Laflamme not in her anchor chair.
0: Yeah, I mean, and to know that we're not going to see her in that anchor chair ever again. I think that that sent the shockwaves through the community. It then was exacerbated by the fact that she dropped that video knowing when they were going to be dropping their announcement. Yeah. And Bell Media didn't pivot That was what was one of the things that was amazing to me. She drops the video and they continue with their media plan. They don't say, oh, let's let this settle. They continue with their media plan of announcing her departure, announcing her replacement and him doing what is referred to as the Bell car wash, going to different outlets owned by Bell Media and talking about the future of CTV News.
1: Let's hear what that sounded like, because as you say, I mean, if we can call it a plan, yeah, like uh, within minutes of Lisa Laflamme's YouTube announcement, they had a very corporate, dry bit of copy coming out, announcing this change, and then her replacement, Omar Sakadina. Omar, what are you hoping to bring to this new role? Well, first of all, you know, uh, we have been, uh, you know, Canadians' number one newscast for several decades now. And Lisa Laflamme has certainly set the bar for this. And so I hope to be able to continue to earn and build on the trust that Canadians have given us over the past several decades. What I learned was there was an attempt to get him onto CTV National News that night. Really... Disrespectful, vulgar, or at least so her colleagues felt. Like she doesn't get to say goodbye, and on that same broadcast, we're going to have the new guy come in and say hello? No.
0: Uh, but I want to make it clear. I mean, from my opinion, I don't think this falls in Omar's lap. This falls in Bell Media's lap. And people are doing their jobs. People, And they shouldn't be blamed for doing their jobs. This is an exciting time in Omar Sakadina's career. And he should be allowed that excitement. Bell Media robbed him of that. And they robbed Lisa Laflemme of any grace in the quote-unquote business decision that they've made.
1: It should have been a great day. It should have been a big deal that everybody could feel happy about for there to be the first Muslim anchor of a national newscast in Canada. But it wasn't so great. And the national CTV newsroom would not put him on the air of his own show. Regional stations were essentially forced to. They were handed copy that I learned was written by corporate and told, do not ask him about Lisa.
0: Didn't we go through this? Didn't Kevin Kroll lose his job at Bell Media for news interference? How is that not news interference?
1: Well, according to my sources, and one in particular, a high-level source at, uh, at CTV National News, it is absolutely news interference. And, you know, people will remember that this was uh, some years ago when Kevin Kroll, who was uh, an executive at Bell, he interfered and said... Don't
0: give air time.
1: A decision had just come out from the CRTC that went against Bell. And it was a a pro-consumer decision where they were going to have to offer people cheaper cable packages. And Bell didn't want people to know that you could get a cheaper cable package. So here we have Bell corporate saying to the newsroom, limit this guy's airtime. I don't want to see this guy on the air. And this was something that Lisa LaFlamme, amongst others, put down their foot and said, do not cross this line. And the Globe and Mail reported this and then... George Cope himself, the president and CEO of Bell, said, "Okay, Kevin Crull, who was a rising star, who might have been the next George Cope, was out the door. And the reason why was the independence of the newsroom. Now, I have since reported what my source told me, that that promise was broken by a guy named Michael Melling. And we went ahead and reported this. It's accurate that in the view of this high-level search at CTV, he absolutely interfered in a number of ways, one of which was handing that copy to people, trying to control the actual news coverage of Lisa Laflamme out, Omar Sakadina in. And also, like, nobody in the newsroom knew about this until the day that it happened, you know. So in, in, in this source's view, yes, that line, that promise was broken.
0: Except for... You know, this whole nobody in the newsroom knew. Omar would have known.
1: The two people okay. who knew were Lisa and Omar.
0: And I would also suggest that there's no way that they are getting rid of somebody like Lisa LaFleme without it going beyond Michael Melling. Is Michael Melling coming out of this as the bad guy? Yeah, absolutely. But it also would have been Wade Usterman. Mm-hmm. And it also would have been Kareen Moses. Yes. Both of them would have known. I mean, these situations do not happen in vacuums. This is the anchor of the number one newscast. She sat in that chair for over a decade after coming in from somebody who sat in that chair for, I don't know, millennia?
1: (laughs) Yes, I think technically it was three millennia that Lloyd Robertson sat in that chair.
0: So this is not a high turnover position. No. This is a position that organizations invest in. Lisa had been at Bell Media working for CTV News for over 35 years. So for over a quarter of a century, she was a boots on the ground journalist. They invested in her. They made a decision that she was going to guide this very important and profitable ship into the future. And that changed like that. And the change that Lisa felt the change in how it affected Lisa. And I don't know how this went down. I mean, I guarantee you, I'm one of the people who didn't know anything going on here. But she wasn't offered to say goodbye. Maybe they offered it to her. Maybe they said, come back, do a goodbye. We'll do this. And maybe Lisa LaFlemme said no. I'm not giving you that. Mm-hmm. I'm not giving you the grace of that. She very well could have said that, right? We don't know. We don't know. As it plays out right now, Bell Media pulled the plug on Lisa LaFlamme's what's been reported not fully played out contract. So they're still paying her mm-hmm. a lot of money to not Be doing that job.
1: So, you have brought up a few of the key issues, and I want to take them on one at a time here. The first one is the issue of interference in the news. A lot of people got in touch with me since we published our uh, Inside Scoop on this to say not exactly the same thing as Kevin Krull, because he was more from Bell Corporate. This guy was the VP of news, so it was his newsroom. So, how could he have interfered with his own newsroom? Now, any newsroom that I've worked in, the line is not necessarily about whether you work in the newsroom or not, it's whether you're a journalist in that newsroom. I would also
0: add that because it was his decision that Lisa's no longer there and that... has got a conflict place... of interest. It's a conflict of interest. He shouldn't be for... writing
1: the news copy about, about a decision he made. Right. So it seemed clear to me, but who cares about me? It seemed very clear to this high-level source of mine that, yeah, this was an intrusion. I'll let people who are more familiar with the org chart at Bell decide who overstepped, uh, yes or no. But this does seem to violate, at least from a public perception, like if the idea is that the suits should not be getting their fingers into the news content, that certainly happened in this instance. Michael Melling, yes, is the person who everybody I spoke to at CTV is saying, this is the guy responsible. This is the guy who came in just months ago into this new position and had a nickname, The Cutter, for what he did at local news. And immediately, not only in terms of cost saving, but in terms of an attitude that he would not truck any dissonance. He said to people explicitly, if you're not rowing in the same direction as me, is he a my way or the highway kind of guy, Jesse? He's that kind of guy. And then the other strain that came out is that he has a problem with women. He has a problem with strong women. He has a problem with women who oppose him on anything. And that Lisa Laflamme has power in that newsroom, in that organization. And she opposed him on things like the budget for their Ukraine coverage and in, in backing her colleague, executive producer Rosa Huang, when there was an attempt to shuffle her off to CP24.
0: I just want to say, shuffle her off to CP24 might be a bit dismissive. I mean, the job that she was offered at CP24 was running the news division of CP24, which is a big, big job. I I just... Executive producer
1: of the national newscast versus running the 24-7 like cable news channel. Maybe those are considered a lateral shift. Uh, anyhow.
0: She'd have more direct reports in CP24 than she would have in national news. She, if didn't, that want matters. she didn't
1: want but it. She didn't want it. and she uh, didn't want it. And, Lisa, and, and, stuck and Lisa, her. Lisa, Lisa had her back on that. So that's how Lisa LaFlamme ran afoul of this guy. Now, so is he the bad guy? Certainly that's the way that a lot of people at CTV feel, and certainly that's how it's coming across in our coverage and elsewhere. But you are absolutely right. The big question for me of this whole, thing is like, okay, there are like bad managers or like arguably dickhead managers, executives. That's an old story who clash and don't like the fact that, that on-air talent has too much power and that get in the way of their agenda. Make but too much money. All that kind of stuff. But what was weird about this, you absolutely described accurately the, I think, unfairness that the public felt, which is like, how come these gray old men get like a year to do victory lap after victory lap and really to excess? they are like celebrated for their like as if they were actually the ones like motivating great world events you know (laughs) and signing off with gratitude it's time to say goodbye oh come have the prime minister on and come you know like at, at mansbridge and robertson's it's like these are the great fathers well lloyd this truly is the end of an era You've been delivering the news since I was barely more than a boy. You've been doing it for so long and so so authoritatively. You've almost become part of Canada's geography. And then Lisa Laflamme is like, goodbye doesn't even get to say goodbye on the air or chose not to.
0: You know, I want to bring that up because we don't know about the negotiations.
1: Yeah, my, my understanding is that is that she was not given a chance to say goodbye, but may, maybe there was some version of that that she turned down. I don't know.
0: I mean, that's the most likely. I also like to have a little bit of fantasy in my mind that maybe they did give her that opportunity because these telecoms like to play out like, how can we make us look okay here? And there are many people who have been fired from... Yeah. Yeah. From jobs, it, they've been able to make it appear like it was their choice. And they're forced onto the that air was, at gunpoint
1: to say, like, I don't, uh, this is yeah, good. I like what's happening. That right was now. like
0: a very 2015 to 2020 approach to losing your job yeah. in media. Like, we'll let you exit this graciously. And so then they go on and Rogers, Bell, Chorus, then they are saved from this. How did you fire my favorite person? How did you? And so.
1: That's not how this one.
0: I mean, this is just blown out. Up in every way that Belle could appear egregious, insensitive, toxic, sexist, ageist. They have appeared that way in every aspect of this story and how it's played out. But
1: this one is such a gobsmacker because, however well, Lisa Laflamme dealt with it and she seems to have dealt with it as well as you could being dealt a pretty shitty hand it is a very disrespectful and injurious way to go out it was not a good day for Lisa
0: no it's a terrible day not for a good Lisa. day
1: for Omar he should have had a great day as we discussed instead Absolutely. He's, he's shuffled from local station to local station and he really seemed like a deer in headlights and he's, he's the one who seemed like he had a gun to his head like they're making me come out here and introduce myself but I know that everybody's thinking about Lisa and no one's allowed to talk about Lisa and he had this tweet that did not go over well he should have waited it day did not go over well for Omar and it did not go over well for CTV so in terms of like hey we've got a big announcement to make what's the best way and they had weeks they had two months to plan this was this their plan she was
0: given the news June 29th. But they didn't decide this on June 28th. They've been talking about letting Lisa Leflem go and how that's going to look for months. So, this so is they've the- had months and months to plan a rollout of how this is going to be. Now, did Lisa scupper their plans? And could this have played out differently if... Lisa Laflemme did not release a video on the day that she knew she knows how this plays out. She knew they were going to make the announcement and she trumped them.
1: I love your narrative here. I love that idea. But there might be a piece of truth to that. And their actions did seem like they were scrambling, that she went first, controlled the narrative and they were scrambling. But I don't think that it was a surprise to them that they were going to have to do this on that day because they made sure that certain people were not in the newsroom that day. Oh no, they knew they, they knew were making it. They knew that, that the, was the
0: day. They knew, and so did Lisa. And Lisa went first. Lisa they went didn't first. expect that she was going to yeah. make this video. She went out and said they've blindsided me yeah this is not how i wanted to leave this is not my choice i thought i had longer she covered every aspect of all those things that i just listed in a video that 20 minutes later the press release about her leaving that went out and they announced omar Yeah, and like i'm telling you lisa Laflemme played this like a fiddle yeah and Is it still injurious? Is it still awful? And is she still the person without a job? 100%. But she trumped their plans with that video that there's no way they would have expected.
1: I mean, good for her. I would like to think that this would have gone over horribly no matter what because of what it is. But I think you might be right that she sees control of this. She certainly
0: seized the emotion.
1: Yeah. She doesn't have
0: any control.
1: Of the narrative, I suppose. But the actions, no. Uh, th- she, th- that's she doesn't what this have is about. control. And, what and, and, she
0: said was, they don't get to say why I left. Yeah. I'm going to tell you how this has made me feel. She made this emotional, which again, we're not used to with our newscasters. She made us feel that she was robbed of a position that she had worked her life and dedicated her life to in a way. And if for anybody who's wondering, her ratings were still stellar. Anybody Can we talk about that?
1: Yeah. I think everybody is shocked that she did not have more power in that organization than she ultimately did, did not have more value to them than she ultimately did. But she understood her true value is her relationship with millions of Canadians. And that's what she seized, I think, to win the day. But the part of this that I haven't been able to figure out and that I don't think anybody knows is what the fuck were they thinking? This is a business decision. Okay. Well, your business For anybody
0: I know this is a podcast, Jesse and I just put business
1: decision in quotes, like both of us. Well, we got to understand that because- If this is the news business and the hierarchy, whatever we can say about it in the news business is that TV trumps radio on the hierarchy and that national trumps local and that CTV trumps everybody. So national CTV TV news is the top of the top. And what sense does it make if you have the number one newscast by a wide margin in the country? This is what everybody is trying to comprehend, because, of course, there's the misogyny, but then there's also this wider sense of shock and injury to anybody who works in media. Whether you're a man or a woman working in Canadian journalism, it is hard to imagine yourself rising to a higher station than Lisa LaFlamme, both in terms of journalistic reputation, but also in terms of, like, commercial importance to your company. So if they don't value her, who do they value? They don't. Is anybody at any media company valued? So when you say it's a business decision, you're gambling when you bring in a new person, especially when you start them off on such a bad course as this. You certainly have to expect that you're going to take some hit in the ratings, which, I don't know, there's estimates that her salary were $350,000 a year, which itself is egregious when we reported that Mansbridge was making $1.1 million for a newscast that was doing way shittier than CTV. Yeah. So they save a few hundred, well, they still have to pay Omar or something. Let's say she was getting a half a million. Let's say she was getting a million. Let's say they save a half a million dollars in this move if they take a dive in the ratings, they're going to lose a lot more than that. This is speculation on my part, but when they say it's a business decision that defies all business logic from my point of view as a person who does business in the media industry, the only way I could explain that is Bell is not actually in the news business. It's a rounding error. Okay? They are in the telecom business. They make obscene gobs of money. They see news itself as a sunsetting business, to whatever extent it could have been profitable, it's less and less year after year. And the only thing to do is to spend less money on it. Right. And that's why it's a business decision is like, we're not looking to be successful in this in particular.
0: No, we're just
1: looking to starve it.
0: And you've got people running media divisions that came from telecom. Mm -hmm. So they're looking at budget lines, that make no sense to them from the world of telecom versus the world of television, versus the world of media. They're looking at budget lines for clothing, for makeup. They're looking at budget lines for travel. And it's not bringing in the same kind of money as telecom. So when you say business decision, it is a Bell corporate business decision that... Doesn't have anything to do with television news. Yeah. That, I, you know, when, when you imagine Lisa Laflemme arguing with Michael Melling about the budget associated with covering the war in Ukraine, you imagine how that is going, right? She's fighting for news. She's fighting for resources to tell, outside of the pandemic, the biggest news story of the past year, Maybe bigger than the pandemic since we have have vaccinations now. But my goodness, when she's losing that fight, when they're saying like, well, here's a person who wants to spend more money, which is like the antithesis of what we are planning on doing. Mm-hmm. Are we just going to be fighting all the time? You know, it's all of those things. Do we treat the person who is stirring the pot and saying we're not doing well by this division, even though we know it's going to kick us in the teeth with her colleagues, kick us in the teeth from a PR standpoint? But do we remove that Band-Aid so we can shift course and have this be a more... The people here understand that it is a new world order. The people here understand that just because you did this 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that's not what we do anymore. I think that that is the bigger issue at hand, how Bell is spending money within
1: that division of their business. I think the message is loud and clear to anybody who works for that company, biggest news broadcast company in the country, that if they can take out Lisa, they can take out anybody And you're going to have to go along with whatever comes from corporate, whatever belt tightening, whatever journalistic cuts get made. That's not the priority. Get in line. The board games of boardroom characters and the egos of executives matter a lot more than even the star power of Elisa Laflamme.
0: I agree with you there.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people, you can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity and they are doing cutting edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends, these are our communities, our families, we are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. at betterhelp.com Canadaland. That's betterhelp.com slash Canadaland. Terry Hart on this show we consider it a crime and a sin when news stories go ignored that people should be paying more attention to, so we duly note them. Have you something to note duly?
0: Yes, I would like to duly note the past, I think it's been 10 or 11 days since a group of Canadian journalists, many racialized, have been receiving death threats, rape threats. And this is not criticism. These are terrifying. The first that I saw was on Twitter, and it was Raisa Patel from Mm -hmm. the Toronto Star. And she actually posted an unredacted email that she had received. And then another email that I believe Angeline Francis from the Toronto Star and also Jenna Moon from the Toronto Star. And then Anna Yonker from the Edmonton Journal. She jumped onto the story and said, yep, me too. And now we're 10 or 11 days in, and we just had an article from the Hill Times where... Erica Ilfil works, and she's been a victim of this. Rachel Gilmore from Global News has been very public. And Saba Itazaz, also victims. I'm sure there are more, but they've created a kind of collective where they've sent a letter to various politicians and to police in both Ottawa and Toronto. This is a story that we all need to know is happening. These are all stellar, stellar journalists doing hard and important work. And they're being threatened physically, emotionally, the space that this would take up for them. And all they are doing, Jesse, is they have the audacity to be women often racialized women, and they have the audacity to have an opinion about things. This has been going on for a long time, but as all of the women have said, these threats are seemingly becoming more and more coordinated, more and more vicious, and frankly, scarier. If this was happening in any other business, if a group of female real estate agents, if a group of female dentists were getting a coordinated threat against their lives— people would be talking about it. Journalists do not deserve. This is not the price you pay for being a journalist. This is not the price you pay for having an opinion, for publicly putting your name out there to tell the stories that are mattering to your community. It's horrifying to me. Everybody needs to know these women's names and what they are dealing with and what they're trying in all the power that they have to stop and how they're trying to impact how police respond to these accusations.
1: This is atrocious and it's something that we've talked about and we've been dealing with it in the industry for a long time now. You know, last week on this show, Jonathan Goldsby was talking about how it's like no more than four people behind this campaign and it might be one person. And the thing about it that I hate so much is the extent to which they're getting what they want because I like, imagine that this is one person sending this uh, harassment campaign, these disgusting messages and getting this level of attention. Like that's what they're after. And yet, To ignore it. But
0: are they after it?
1: Because they're anonymous. So, I mean, like, what what are are they they just rubbing their hands and they're
0: talking about me? They've
1: made people scared. They've made people afraid for themselves. And they have, through writing just a bunch of bullshit, they have been able to get their message into the media at all these different levels. It's way more attention than I want to give them. And yet I completely understand that we don't ignore things like this. And we don't. And so we've had this long conversation, and it's an important one, about what publishers and bosses can do to help support their people. And we've been involved working with other companies on best practices and also when when it's happened here, and it has happened here. How do we help people? How do we offer mental health supports? How do we deal with taking over a colleague's email? This is good stuff that we're figuring out the playbook for this and we're figuring out how to support each other. But I can tell you, it happened to me with somebody threatening my child and I called the cops and the cops took the threat and they said, we'll be in touch with you. And they never called back. Mm. Okay. So, I want to get to a place where we don't have to have weeks of national media attention on what might be one goon. I want the cops to show up at that person's door, and I want them to take this shit seriously. So I'm happy to dedicate resources to working with the other newsrooms. Let's get better at this. Let's support our colleagues, all of that stuff. But a death threat is a death threat, and a rape threat is a rape threat, and these are crimes, and the cops are fucking ignoring it. So, I mean, that
0: seems to be where reading Twitter threads, reading articles, that seems to be really where the frustration lies for these women, these journalists of like, you know, I contacted the Ottawa police. I stayed on the phone for two hours and then I had to get off the phone because I had other things to do. Why are these resources? Why are all these all at different cop stations, different police stations? As soon as you tell them you're a journalist, the product,
1: they treat you with dismissal and ridicule, almost scorn. Like, uh Oh, poor journalist is crying to the cops. No, it's a crime. And the way that this should happen is you get the message, you report it, and if they can trace it, they trace it, and they go deal with that person, and we don't have to put them on our our platforms. That's what I'd like to see. Duly noted. I got one. I want to duly note, and I have to give a caveat here. This is uh, I've got a conflict of interest in this story, but I want to talk about it, so I'm going to disclose this conflict of interest. I am a publisher who has an interest in what happens with Google and Canadian news. What I want to duly note is an ad that I've been hearing when I listen to podcasts almost every day this summer.
0: Google products are designed to help you find relevant local news. Learn how Google supports news in Canada at g.co slash news in Canada.
1: So, Terry, I've been hearing that on CBC Podcasts. Yes, I listen to CBC Podcasts and many others. An ad campaign like this, I'm like, wow, that's a big ad campaign. This is like every single day. And podcast ads are very effective. So, of course, I went to g.co slash Canada. What did you find, Jesse? Well, I wanted to find what they promised. I wanted to learn how Google supports the news in Canada. But I did not find what I was looking for. I wanted to know which Canadian news organizations Google supports. Didn't find that. I wanted to find out why they support them how much money they support them with, none of that info is there. I wanted to know which news organizations Google doesn't support and why they don't support those news organizations. Nothing about that either. So Google, because this Bill C-18 Online News Act is about to become a law when Parliament comes back this fall, they're trying to convince the public that they are the greatest friend ever of Canadian news organizations. And it is absolutely true that they have been getting involved in the Canadian news business like never before, and in some ways I'm sure it's very nice and beneficial, but they have limitless resources and they are deciding which news companies to shower those resources upon and which ones not. And no, for the record, I haven't asked yet. It might happen. Hasn't happened yet, so this isn't sour grapes yet. But what we do have is a situation where money-starved news organizations, some of them have access to huge Google resources and some of them don't, and that's having an impact on, you run that over a large enough amount of time and essentially Google, A private company, a foreign-owned company, a big tech company, will be deciding which news organizations live and which news organizations die. And at a minimum, if they're going to go and tell Canadians, we're the good guys supporting news, I want to know how they're making those decisions. What did you find at that website? A blog post that, in general terms, talks about the Google News Initiative and all the money they're spending around the world... So you found propaganda. Yeah, it's a Google PR copy. Propaganda about, you know, essentially this is a larger thing where Google has been gone from the good guy in tech to being, you know, big tech is now the bad guy. And, and so some years ago when the news organizations around the world in Australia and otherwise started to push back against Google, they said, okay, how can we change this? Let's start having conferences and, you know, having grants and giving money. So they've had a very selective program where, you know, they, they, they have uh, been helping some and... and this but is in, what it's about. It's a intrinsically,
0: propaganda. if they are making the decision about where their money is going to, who they're advertising with, who they are, they have the impact on what is successful and what is not.
1: They have an impact before they even started to explicitly fuck with the news, because, of course, when you get your news, there's a good chance you're getting it from Google. Mm -hmm. So there was always a secret. That SEO, baby. The SEO mystery, they don't divulge that. The ways in which Google now influences the news are more than you can count. I mean, you know, then how many websites do you go to where the ads on the website are Google ads, right? And so they partner with some companies, not others. I mean, a lot of this is business stuff. We never get the figures. That's fine. But if you actually got to the bottom of, like, what is the financial relationship between Google and the news, it is extensive and it's inextricable at this point. So if they want to position themselves as like a public good and not simply a corporate entity, then they use this language. We want to connect you with relevant, trustworthy information. Well, that's an editorial conversation you're having. Mm -hmm. So who's deciding what's trustworthy and what isn't? Google? Google. Okay. An algorithm? And if you're deciding that, can we know how? I would like to check a few boxes. I would like to
0: tell them who I am, at the very least. I mean, I have to do more to join TikTok.
1: Duly noted. Terry, last week, we learned that John Derringer, the host of Derringer in the Morning. Tool of the day. q q 107
0: There's a reason Jesse and I can both do that.
1: <laughs> Classic rock. Three hours of Foreigner on the mighty Q.
0: Psychedelic
1: Sunday. Want some more Foreigner? We shouldn't laugh. This is serious stuff. John Derringer is out at the Mighty Q after hosting their morning show for 22 years. This comes after he was on a hiatus, after a misconduct investigation was initiated. People will remember this. This was back in May when a broadcaster who used to work with Derringer posted this to Facebook. Would you
0: take a dream job working as a radio host if you knew you would be working with a co-host with accusations of prior abusive behavior towards women and that you would also be exposed to two, sometimes three men vaping in an enclosed room for four hours a day with no ventilation. Would you complain about it? Would you complain about it if you knew that women before you were moved from that room, eliminated because they spoke up? Would you complain knowing they would choose to support the man no matter what issues were brought forward? and it would
1: put your job in jeopardy. She later confirmed that the guy she was talking about was John Derringer. Other women came forward, Jackie Delaney, Andrea Ruse, Maureen Holloway, to say that they too had experienced workplace abuse from John Derringer. Here is Jackie Delaney.
0: Working with John Derringer was one of the things that lent itself to my leaving radio altogether. That was the worst experience that I had in radio. He's one of the radio legends of uh, his generation in this marketplace. Yeah, well, the way he treats um, female co-hosts is also legendary. Terry, you ever worked with this guy? I didn't. I've known John for a long time. You know, we were kind of joking at the beginning of this segment. I worked in the hallowed halls of Q107 when it was 5255 Young Street in North York. I remember you. Uh-huh. Jesse actually brought me back. It seems Jesse and I have uh, not just sat around this table together, but we shared a desk at 5255 Young
1: Street. I was 16 years old. I thought you were very, very cool. And it was my first job in media at Q107. I was a promo. Lackey. And I was
0: 21 years old, and I was doing the Community Cruiser, and I thought everybody else was very, very, very cool. You know, so you are 16.
1: Also- you were a grown-up adult. You might have. You, I don't know. Were you 21? Were you 30? I mean, you know, <laughs> I, like you were just you were a pro. So uh, you know, I was in awe.
0: Yeah, I mean, rock radio. It's a, it's a it's a crazy business. But full disclosure, I'm friends with Jennifer Valentine. Mm-hmm. I know Maureen Holloway. And what happened to both of them is horrifying. I mean, more Maureen... what, what did
1: happen to them? I mean, because this is different than a than a sexual harassment story of a me too. Variety, but it's pretty serious. But- oh, it's
0: very serious. I mean, especially the physical danger that John and his colleagues in the room put Jennifer in by vaping in the room. Everybody knew what was happening. I mean, those control rooms are like glass at radio stations. Everybody can see what's going on. When Jennifer went to you know program directors and general managers, I mean, their comment was, "Oh, is that still going on?" Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, this is this is physical health stuff as well as just being belittled and being made to cry, emotionally put into places that were awful consistently. And he he did the same thing with Maureen. I mean, Maureen at one point said she was given a big raise that was, you know, commonly referred to at Q107 as Derringer money. Yeah. And speaking of Derringer money, I mean, the word on the street is he was paid millions of dollars to go away.
1: Let's talk about what he is alleged to have done before we talk about how much money they paid him to stop doing it or to do it elsewhere. The Toronto Star spoke to four former co-hosts of Derringer, and they described, quote, a pattern of belligerent abusive behavior with him flying into a rage during commercial breaks in front of as many as 20 staffers, dressing down female co-hosts and colleagues at the popular station. The former co-host said they complained to station managers and HR personnel to no avail. And there's like specific stories of what he said to women and how many people he said in front of him. He just sounds like a, an atrocious and like really vulgar, like nobody cares what you think. Look at my paycheck and look at yours.
0: Oh, no, he's a pig. I mean, alleged to be a pig. And, you know, Supriya, who worked in that building, she went on Twitter and said everybody knew what was going on in that control room. Yeah. What I hate about this story so much and what gets me is where is the list of the program directors and general managers that allowed this to happen, that knew it was happening? I don't care that Derringer doesn't have a job. I don't even like he's got more money than Cretius. I care about the men who were responsible and maybe there were some women in there too I don't know but the program directors and the general managers why hasn't a list been published by chorus like wouldn't that be responsible to say here are the people who were in positions of management positions of power that we are actively investigating that allowed this to go on that allowed women to be treated this way because they put the profit of the morning show ahead of not what was on the air let's be clear this wasn't about what was on the air this was about coddling John Deringer's fragile ego to make him happy that he could talk to people this way.
1: To make him—like, him,
0: what what? What? is that?
1: They seem to be still interested in making him happy, because even though the investigation is ongoing, they tell us, the investigation, the internal investigation. Boom, boom. But before they have the verdict of the investigation, they've paid him. And Jackie Delaney has tweeted that he was rewarded for his bad behavior for more than two decades, and now he's getting one final reward, a multimillion-dollar payout. Terry, we uh, accept 4% gossip on this program. Do we know how much money or have we heard how much money he might have been paid?
0: Word on the street is like between 8 and $10 million. Can you corroborate that? Is that the figure you've heard?
1: I heard $8 million, but it's yeah. just what I heard. Yeah, uh, I heard.
0: And so like... It's, just, I, I, you know, I don't,
1: uh, we might have heard the same rumor from the same person, so okay. I don't know if it's corroboration, but that is what I heard.
0: Well, what I said on on Twitter is, you know, the fact is... Complicity is expensive, and yeah. Chorus, as an organization, is complicit.
1: So let's talk about the organizational side of this, because, you know, Sapria Duvetti, who used to work here, came to public about abusive behavior at Chorus, and we reported on that some years ago. This is more than Derringer. And when I think about being 16 years old there, you know, this was like the time when Howard Stern was the biggest thing in the world, and it was a super— toxic male atmosphere. It was a behemoth of a radio station. But the culture of the place was, fuck yeah, DJs, shock you, jocks, I'll dudes. Tell
0: you, I'll tell you a story. The, so we were at 5255 Young Street, and the postal code was M2N6P4. This is before email, guys. This is before, like, it was a really long time ago. Nabbit, You know how you used to, like, spell out a postal code? Yeah. Um, M2N6P4, they would spell it out on air like this. Meet two nurses, six pack four.
1: That, that almost just feels like a free association of brospeak. <laughs> bro speak. like just like of what, all uh, the
0: words, meet two nurses, six pack four. Yeah, that was Q107. And I have listen. to stop and think
1: about that one for a minute. <laughs> and, you know, it felt locked in time when I would come back to Toronto and be like, I wonder what's on Q107. And it would be the same foreigner song playing. And I couldn't tell if it was the same disc jockeys or not. Sometimes it seemed the same. This was their business. Yep. And their business was like locked in amber. So I could see some of these guys feeling like it's not just that my personality is like this. I'm paid to be this way. So now all of a sudden the rules have changed.
0: Listen, the shock jock era created, you know, right wing crazy radio. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a toxic thing. Like the morning zoo was about usually two guys going off the rails and a girl saying, "Oh, guys, mm-hmm. behave." Yeah, I mean that was that was a radio format that went on for decades. You know, it wasn't that long ago that Q one hundred and seven dropped the classic rock, and people were up in arms about it. You yeah. know, they still wanted their Zeppelin, they still wanted their Pink Floyd. Well, they were classicists. Yeah, they were class. They are. <laughs> they believe classicists. in the canon. Yeah. There was a format around rock radio that bled into, you know, I would suggest even new rock. Like when CFNY became The Edge, I worked there before I worked at Q107 and was there for that transition. Radio was renowned for being, you know, male dominant and just like super competitive and super macho. You know, it had all of those things. Still now, I mean, you look at what happened at Maureen Hallway. She was one of our only... Female-only morning show host Darren Lamb took off, just disappeared, and she lost her job. I mean, you know, I guess Marilyn, it, Marilyn is our female incredible success story here. But but one, I'm Josie, Josie Dye. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I, you know, come on, it's, it's toxic for sure.
1: I have a uh, a grim prediction for what's going to happen now, and, and it loops back to what we were saying earlier. I feel like all of this legacy media in Canada has this issue of the lost leader. They make money off of different things. The media stuff is a sunsetting industry, and it causes them so many headaches because they have these legacy problems from things that they've allowed to fester for years and years and years. When it was more of a revenue generating part of their business, and they are going to get tired. Like If you're willing to sacrifice, even when you've got it good and you've got a wonderful figurehead like Lisa Laflamme and you're like, she's got too much power. What I see is a broader trend of like, how do we make the minimum How do we get this as safe and anodyne as possible? And we'll make all the right hires so that people feel like we did the right thing. But we just don't want any more trouble. We don't want any more noise. And I think that that's going to be decision making in Canadian media.
0: Well, and Michael Melling, you know, came into that role. And one of the things he did was, you know, switch up how reporters operated in the field. They're now, you know, shooting their own stories, editing their own stories. Mm -hmm. You know, should that evolution happen, technology allows us to do things in a different way. I'm not completely against it. But I also understand how that could age out a certain group of people. I mean, it's challenging, right? Like when you have some legacy people at stations who are of a certain age, who, you know, aren't easily editing on TikTok in two seconds. Yeah,
1: they're going to want it young, they're going to want it cheap, and they're going to want it dull.
0: And that is happening quicker, right? All of a sudden, 50, I mean, I'm 50 years old, I'm a dinosaur, and... I'm on TikTok, but, but I shouldn't be. And, you know, you, you think about if you've worked at a, a company for as long as many people have worked at these legacy media companies and they've made a certain plan. They have pensions. They have employee share purchase plans. They have all these things. They're good employees. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden that earning power is truncated by probably 10 years. That's going to have a serious ripple effect
1: terry that is shortcuts for this week thank you for joining me for it thanks jesse we're on twitter at canadaland i can be emailed at jesse at canadaland.com and i read everything you send. terry hart where can people find you
0: i'm on twitter at terry hart t-e-r-i-h-a-r-t
1: instagram tiktok all the platforms this episode is produced by Aviva Lessard with additional production by Tristan Capicione. Our managing editor is Kieran Oudshorn. Our theme music is by so-called Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. Hey, if you like what we do here, if you want to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, if you want to support our journalism, please hit the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join.